I want to talk about a phenomenon that we, I think, are aware of, but we don't talk about a lot. I blame it on the Christmas story. All the ingredients for the confusion about Jesus are rooted right there in this Christmas story. Mostly, I would blame not the story in Scripture, because we've got Matthew and Luke who record similar things. Uh, Jesus' grand entrance into the world. God comes and visits earth, and this is what it looks like. But we, we, kind of, we kind of clean it up for our stories, our plays, our Christmas carols, our traditions. We clean up the story and make it sweeter and tidier than it actually was. And I want us to just look at that story for its honesty because it's chaotic and confusing. Jesus lived, he died, he arose, he ascended, and is right now at the right hand of God making intercession for us. And we know he is the key to the world being saved. He is the only means for that. And we as a church have this job. We are trying to, to present Jesus to the world so that the world will invite him into their lives. This is what the, the gospel story, the, narr- the birth narrative is all about. Jesus' entrance into the world. We are trying to get people to let Jesus into their worlds. So we've got a mission that's much like this birth narrative and we can expect the same kind of thing. So what can you expect when you invite Jesus into a life as Lord? And one word for it is the word disruption. And here's kind of like the theme that we're gonna go all the way through the morning on this slide. Letting Jesus be Lord means letting him disrupt your life. Now, it wasn't obvious because there were some forecasts, right? There were some people forecasting what Jesus would do, what he would be. To Joseph, in a visit from an angel, his name, you're going to call him Jesus. He's going to save people from their sins. He's going to be their savior. This sounds great. This sounds positive. He's come to save us. Wise men brought expensive, lavish gifts and rejoiced, it says, with great joy. It was contagious, and everybody in the room with them would have felt that joy and anticipation. And then there's the heavenly choir, the army, the Lord's army choir that sang out there this beautiful song about what Jesus was going to do. And it would cause us to, if we were there, it would cause us to be swept up into this joy and into this rapture of this soundtrack of Jesus' life as he came into the world. He's going to save the world, joy to the world, and we have that song. We have the shepherds running after they hear this song, and they gather with such excitement. He would be great, and he would reign forever. That's what the angel told Mary. So he's going to bring stability and godly rule into life. Good news, great joy for all people. That sounds great. And some people run with that. And they say to the people, when you invite Jesus into your life, he's bringing you salvation. He's bringing to you stability. He's bringing to you joy and peace and harmony. But as the story unfolds, it doesn't look anything like that. When you hear some sermons today or some preachers today, they're like, you invite Jesus into your life and everything goes great. Everything straightens up. Everything works out. It just gets well. You watch some of these movies and sometimes it gives this impression that when you get your life right with God, your wife who hasn't been able to have a child all of a sudden has a child and the football team wins and your job goes great and all this stuff happens. And and boy, I'd sign on for that, right? 
I don't know that we can tell the world that. Because that's not how the story starts out at all. I, I want to say this, though, at the very front, this is all true. This is all true. This is all authentic truth. Uh, Jesus even says it himself in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come. This is why Jesus came. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I don't want you just to have life. I don't want you just to get by and just live out your time. I want you to have abundant life. And that's why I came, to deliver that abundant life. But it won't be instant. It won't be obviously true at the, at the get-go. Because what we know in this story is the kings go back home and nothing changes. The shepherds go back to the fields, back to their work, and nothing changes. Mary and Joseph go back to the house, and the only thing that changes is the diapers, right? And the getting up at night, and their lives are kind of put in upheaval. A king starts going on the hunt trying to hunt down this baby, and babies die because of the entrance of Jesus into the world. And then Mary and Joseph are forced to go on the run into a, an asylum country. And when they do settle down, there's this stigma on them of being people who were pregnant before they were married. And people look at them with judgment and scorn and reproach. Listen, this didn't start out real good. I don't start hearing joy to the world as this life is put into upheaval. That's how it started out when Jesus came in the world. He disrupted their lives. Yes, the hope of salvation is now here, but for the moment it doesn't seem to make difference, right? Hope disrupts before it delivers. And I want you to remember that. Hope will disrupt before it actually delivers on its promises because letting Jesus be Lord means letting him disrupt your life, rearrange it. See Mary. Ask Mary. This is what we just read just a moment ago. The first verse of this story goes like this. The birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now finish this song with me. And some of you younger people may have never heard this before. First comes love. Then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. That's how it's supposed to work. But God, in his, I don't know what he was doing, into this great story, he reverses some stuff. Here comes the baby before the marriage. This is as scandalous as what happened to Hosea in the Old Testament. Go marry some prostitute. What? This is not what I've been raised doing. I know. And so this is like disruptive. And so the angel comes to Mary and says, listen, God sees you. He's so impressed with you. And Mary's like, oh, wow, I, I got God's attention. I found favor. And God says, I want to use you mightily to change the world. And she says, oh, my, you're going to use me? How are you going to do it? Well, I'm, I'm going to make you pregnant before you're married. What? You're going to change the world. You're going to, through you is going to come the Savior of all mankind. And that sounds wonderful, but it's going to mean, listen, if she signs on for this, it's going to mean stairs, 
from people and judgment and scorn and ridicule from the world. Even in John 7, Jesus is still facing the illegitimate child scorn. You know Mary suffered from it. You're going to honor me, God, by putting me in a position of shame? The original scarlet letter right on her forehead? Did she know what was going to happen to her? She had to have known. Y'all, I, I, I apologize to younger generations who don't understand this. Back in this day, just like it, a lot like in the 50s, 60s of America, when you got married, when you got pregnant before marriage, you didn't stay home. They shipped you off somewhere because of the shame that it brought to your family. And then after the baby was born, you might, you might come back. That was the shame. But, but in this case, she was going to live in a small town and everybody was going to know it. And you know what? I, she was the only one who knew the truth. And she could protest and she could try to explain, but who in the world is going to believe that? Is she willing to take on a lifetime of this? For the sake of this role God's assigning her, she says yes. And then there's Joseph. Devastated by the news, and I'm sure Mary tried to explain it, but come on, y'all. Any guy in here going to believe that story? Are you going to believe it when your girlfriend says, you know where this baby came from? The Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And on his way, he loved her. He genuinely loved her. He wanted to do it privately. But on his way to sign the divorce decree, the angel intervenes and says, sure enough, what she says is true, and I want you, I want you to agree to the scorn with her. I want you to share the shame with her in the eyes of people. You'll know the truth, and she'll know the truth, but you too will be too. And for the rest of Many years, I don't know how long, but for the rest of many years, he had to bear the brunt of that, the stares of people and the talk of the town. And he did it. It made a mess. And then Simeon throws his two words into it, right? His, his two cents worth into it. Simeon blessed them when the baby came to the temple. And, and there's Mary. and says, behold, this child is appointed for the rising and falling of many in Israel. You know what he's saying? He is going to shake things up. He is absolutely going to turn things upside down. And he will be opposed. He is going to be opposed by everybody. And by the way, Mary, a sword is going to pierce your heart too. You're going to hurt because of this boy. And still she says, yes, Lord, your servant will do it. Jesus disrupted a lot. A king goes on the hunt for him. He disrupts society. He disrupts politics. He, disrupt, he disrupts marriages. He disrupts, uh, disrupts finances. He disrupts how the world is supposed to work. And I want to ask you, as a group of witnesses gathered here on Sunday morning, those of you who are Christians already, and you're coming here to renew your vow for another week together uh, around the Lord's table, I want to ask you, has he disrupted your life? Has Jesus disrupted your life? Maybe you've gotten so used to it that you don't register it anymore, but has he disrupted your life? And I'm not asking you to sound bitter. I'm asking you to be honest. Has he disrupted your life? No doubt what Jesus brings to us is worth it. 
It is worth it. And as we share the gospel with people, we do tell them it's worth it, but we must be honest. He is going to be a disruption in your life. Like any other baby born, you have a life full of you. You have a life scheduled with your stuff, and suddenly another human comes into it for which you're responsible, and he will shake your entire life up as you make room for this new human being. And you can't imagine the disruption until it happens. You've got to set your own interests to the side and take thought of this. So life, as you come to know it, comes to a screeching halt as you make room for this Jesus. Letting Jesus be Lord means letting him disrupt your life. He will disrupt your finances. At least he should if he's Lord. And we need to teach this better than we have. I know we've got a building we're about to pay off and we rejoice about that. And sometimes when we have a a goal like that, it's easy to give. And then when it moves out of the way, we're like, why are we giving in the offering? Can I tell you, you're not giving in the offering for the church. You're not even giving in the offering for God. You're giving for yourself. He is Lord of my life. And one way I declare to myself he is Lord is a certain portion of every every bit of money I make goes to him. No questions asked. It doesn't matter if the building's paid off or not. I'm doing this to set me free from the love of money and to declare to myself and to the world, Jesus is Lord, not me. What I want to do is every dime go to fund what I want to do, my lifetime house and my three cars and every experience I can imagine I want. I save up every bit of it in order to be able to do those things. And Jesus, Jesus meddles in that and says, I want you to show me I'm Lord by how you spend your money. Take a cut off the top and give it to me, even if the building's paid for. It's not to the church. It's not, it's not because God has to have the money. It's for you to show yourself Jesus is Lord, you are not. And do I know how invasive that is? Do I know what it's like to tell a kid who's mowing yards for the summer? And we need to tell our kids this, church. Start now. He's Lord of your life. Let him be Lord of that hundred bucks you just got from mowing that yard. I'm not telling you the amount, and I'm not making you, and I'm not going to watch you put it in the plate, but I'm telling you, if he's Lord, if he's really Lord, not just something you sing, but if he's really Lord, he's even Lord of that moment, what you do with that money right there. And it's not just the offering He wants us to be rich toward God. So in that same gospel that talks about the Jesus disrupting your life, he says this in Luke chapter 12. God said to this man who had a bumper crop, and instead of giving it away and helping other people, he builds bigger barns. Fool, he said, this night your soul is required of you. The things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We need to concern ourselves with being rich toward God. And you say, well, I barely got enough for me. If he's Lord, he'll take care of you. He will disrupt other things too. He will disrupt your time. I want to do what I want to do that enjoys me. I want to go on every vacation. I want to be mobile and be able to run off to anything I want to. You know what? One of the things I admire about the ministry of the church with the college people is this. 
it kind of it makes you have to stick around. If you're really going to have a good ministry with college people, you've got to be here. And when you'd like to run off just for any little thing, anything you want to do, anything you, just have the freedom to run and do whatever I want to, it kind of gets in the way. And then, and then their house, the house becomes a place of hospitality and meeting, and it kind of gets in the way. And when, like, I think there's probably times Lori wants to go to sleep, and there's still 40 college people staying till 4 in the morning. You know, I'd like to teach for a quarter, but I like to run off to here and 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 to here at a whim's notice. And when I, when I sign on the dotted line for the classes, I need to actually be here on Sunday morning. Sometimes I want to go and run off and do this at the last moment, but I've got this Bible class. What do I do? He's Lord of your time. This is a foreign concept in the freedom that we have. Uh, it's all my shot. It's all in my... No, it's not in all your domain. He's disruptive. And, and once you sign on to him as Lord, every Sunday morning's taken. And there'll be people who... you got sports teams and stuff. Well, I committed to the team. You committed to the Lord before that. And over and above that. And he's, he's just meddlesome in your time. And who has time to take a few moments every day and look at the Word of God and feed your soul that, that lives beyond this life? Who has time for all that? Well, the believer doesn't have time. He makes time. That's lordship stuff. This is not popular, and I don't like it either. This is the disruption he causes don't be so excited to get people rushed into water. Stop before you go in the water. Let me tell you about the disruption that's about to happen. He disrupts relationships. The big thing you hear today now is you can love who you want to. No, you can't. He's Lord of your relationships. I'll tell you how you can't love who you want to. God in creation kind of said, this is how humanity is to function. This is how I see it functioning. I created it to function, to be able to reproduce itself. And there's only one relationship that is to re reproduce humanity. And I want you to honor this. So this idea that you can love who you want to, no. But there's another thing about that. There are some people you can't stand that Jesus says you can't just write them off. You have to love your enemy. So there's some people I want to love that God says I can't. And there are some people I don't want to love that Jesus says you must. He's so meddlesome. Now we're getting into the private life of Americans. And they say, hands off. Jesus isn't hands off of any part of your life. He's so disruptive.
He may force you toward people that you don't want to be around, and he force you, may force you away from people you do. And here's what he says. Again, the same gospel, same gospel that recorded his life. Remember the words, right? He came to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then here's Jesus speaking later in Luke 12. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No! Jesus says no! How do you explain, how do you square this? All the wonderful songs. And then Jesus says, no, I didn't come to bring peace. I brought division. For from, from now on, one house, there'll be five divided. Three against two, two against three. There'll be father against a son, a son against a father, a, a mother against a daughter, a daughter against a mother, a mother-in-law against a daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Because one of them made Jesus Lord, and the other one keeps hold of the rain themselves. And there's no way to prevent the conflict. He's disruptive to your opinions. I want to think the way I want to think. My opinion is this, and my feeling deep down is this. It's, it's like, this seems logical to me. But Jesus sometimes will reveal that what seems logical and right to us and our human selves is actually not in line with the will of God. And so what are you going to do? Jesus says you have to deny yourself. How do you know when you have to say no to yourself? Because when Jesus says yes, you repeat yes, even if you'd rather it be no. Your politics it all comes under the umbrella of the authority of Jesus, and he disrupts it all. If you're a Democrat, you cannot be a full-fledged Democrat with having some conflict in your heart that's caused by your faith. No one can be full-fledged Democrat and be okay with it, and their faith not cause them trouble. No one can be a full-fledged Republican either because your faith will be meddlesome, and it will disrupt you. So what are you? How about like an independent person who tries to be like Christ? How about that? How about that for the way that we run our lives? Because that's the only option Christians have. Woo, is he meddlesome. The big word for people today is deconstruction. If you haven't heard it, people deconstruct the faith they were raised with. Just tear it apart and they start building it back. I don't care whether you do that or not, but let me tell you what is absolutely true. Jesus reconstructs your life. He deconstructs everything you've ever done, tells you what can stay and what needs to go, and he rebuilds it. You are his reconstruction. It's true, isn't it? Letting, be letting Jesus be Lord means letting him disrupt your life. And that all sounds negative. And you're like, boy, ain't nobody going forward today, is there? Right? Nobody's going to listen to you today. But here's, I'd be a terrible salesman if I didn't continue this. Because here's the truth. Life as you had it before was all you knew. And status quo is what you'll, all, you'll just stay with the familiar. How will God, who wants to make your life not just life but abundant life, how will he get you out of the life that you think is great when there's something better for you in mind for him? He has something better for you. He doesn't want you just content with this life. How will he ever make you look up from the life that you're used to, that you've settled into and you've gotten used to? How will he ever get you to look at the abundant life without forcing a disruption in there? 
Disruptions cause you to look again and realize there might be something better. If your life is full of you, and God knows that the best way for you to live is put Jesus in there, how will he do it? He has to disrupt your life in order to get you to look again. I know people today who will say they don't want to have kids because kids are disruptive. Do I have an amen on this one? Yeah. Kids are disruptive. They cost money, time, effort. When you cook, you have to cook for everybody because nobody's, nobody's uh, willing to eat what you make, and so you've got to make the chicken strips and the, and the fries with every stinking meal you make. Uh, this is what so-and-so likes, won't you know, this is what so and suddenly instead of making one meal, you're making eight to satisfy everybody. How ridiculous is that? Kids disrupt. And then when the empty nest comes and you realize, man, we only, we're fine with a ham sandwich and chips. I mean, that's just fine. Oh, it's so nice and easy. Wow. But as much as the kids disrupt, would any one of us say they'd rather go back and undo them? You didn't realize what you were missing until it enters and disrupts your life and you realize the disruption is good for you. And in fact, for Christians, children and marriage show us just how selfish we are and it gets us out of our selfishness. It's a tool God uses to make us holy and it's something wonderful once you've experienced it until you experience that disruption. And so these, these people who don't want the kids in their lives, they're gonna get old. They're gonna wonder who's gonna kinda be with me and be my companionship as I get older. Pets disrupt your life. Some people say, I want a pet instead of uh, kids. Let me tell you about William Gay. I, you know, uh, he's just, we talk every once in a while, go and eat lunch every once in a while, and they got a dog for their daughter, Emily. And, of course, Emily takes care of that dog, right? I said, how long did she take care of that dog herself? He said, ah, six or seven minutes. And then, the, and then it goes on William, and he said, yeah, the other morning I had to get up, and he had to get out, and at 5.30 in the morning I'm walking the dog because he has to walk to go to the bathroom. Now, what is the deal? That's a disruption. But William says, I kind of need the exercise. It's kind of good for me. And there he already is justifying the disruption that dadgum dog is. He's already saying it's made my life better. I don't know why you want a dog. I mean, when you go on a trip, you have to find somebody to watch that thing because they can't take care of themselves. Get you a cat. Put up the, the commode lid and let them drink water all week and you don't have to worry about it. They disrupt your life. Marriage disrupts everything. You, you can't make a unilateral decision anymore. You've got to consider all the ways that certain things affect the other person because you're responsible for the other person too. And that should be, for a selfish culture, that should be something we're repulsed by. And maybe for a while we are. If some, they are. They get divorced because they want to live the single life. And then you ask somebody who's been married for years and they lose their spouse. And that spouse was a significant feature of every single thing they experience in life. And the disruption made their life great. I'm telling you this because Jesus is a disruption when you make him Lord. He rearranges things. 
He's troublesome. Sunday mornings are now all scheduled, and your money isn't all yours. And suddenly, he starts invading your thought life and vetoes some of your entertainment decisions of what you listen to or watch, and he causes you to distance yourself from some relationships that you realize that were toxic to you and draw closer to others for whom you never would have chosen to be with otherwise. You're in for mental upheaval in your mind as the way you think about things and evaluate people all has to change, what Paul calls the transforming of the mind and some habits that you were allowing yourself to get into have to be nixed and some activities that you never wanted to do suddenly become things or features in your life. And But over time, you realize the change that takes place in you and the joy that comes in and the peace that comes in and the fellowship that invades your life in a positive way and suddenly you realize this disruption is one of the greatest things and now it's not just life, it's abundant life, but it's not immediate. You've got to give it time. And one day you realize that that meddlesome Lord has brought you joy and peace and forgiveness and a future. Letting Jesus be Lord disrupts your life for good. Now I could and should in the sermon right there, but I'm not. Just a second, just a second. Paul's smiling at me because I said, I'm probably not going to go further, but I'm running right through this stop sign. Here's the question from the story to me. How did Mary and Joseph live with that disruption so long before it ever paid off and survive it? How did they live with this turmoil? Because they lived in a world that just absolutely attacked them for what they believed to be true, and yet they knew it to be true. How did they live with it until it started paying off? I want to tell you this because I think this is going to help you if you ever respond. Number one is this. They kept reviewing what they knew. Mary, you remember this? Mary treasured these things in her heart. You remember that? How did Luke, who did his research... How did Luke know about the song Mary sang? How did, how did he know how Mary responded and felt? Mary shared it with him. Mary told him the entire song. We had the Magnificat, a great song. This one, she, and she let him know, I, 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 I did that. How did, how, did that, how did he know that? Because Mary shared it with him. And she was willing to share with people. She just knew nobody would believe it. But she had it right there in her heart. And it sunk down deep. It permeated every part of her. Because here's the deal, guys. She had to live in a skeptical, scornful world all day long. And she had to hang on to her faith. And how did she do it? She knew the truth. I don't care what it looks like or what anybody else says. I don't care how I'm treated by the world. I know the truth of this kid. I know it. And she reviewed it in her heart every day. Let me tell you what God does for us real quickly. Ephesians, this is now on the screen. It wasn't earlier. Here's Ephesians chapter 1. This is a list, a song Paul sang about every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen to this. In him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have forgiveness of our trespasses. In him, the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. Listen to this. He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He gives us wisdom and insight into what he's doing, making known to us 
The mystery of his, that great grand mystery of what God's doing, he made it known. When you become a Christian, he gives you inside track information about what he's trying to do and who he is and where he's leading this all to. The world doesn't know this stuff, but you do. You have it, the blueprint of God's plan in your hands. Put it in your heart. It's a plan for the fullness of time to unite everything the way it's supposed to be. And it's not there yet, but you know it's coming. So let's get together every time we can and remember what we know. Because while we're getting beaten bad by the world, when we come in here, we remind ourselves of the truth and hang on to it one more week. Second, they huddled. Who knew? Who knew the truth? Mary and Joseph. What kind of bond did that couple have? The only two people, it seems, in the world who knew the inside information about this. No one else would believe it. I don't know how long it was before someone else, well, we'll get to that in a minute, before somebody else knew about it. They huddled together and they reminded each other. When Mary found a bad day, Joseph came up and remembered it with her. And when Joseph had a bad day, Mary helped him remember it. They huddled. But there were two other people who knew. Does anybody remember who, the, who, who are two other human beings who knew the story? Randy? Elizabeth and her husband. He could talk about it now. He couldn't for a while, but he could talk about it now. She'd go to the house, spend months with Elizabeth before her, Jesus comes because she knew the story too. You know what happens? You need to huddle with other people who know the story too. Guys, I might go insane thinking I'm the only one nuts enough to believe the Christian faith. But when I come to Valley View and I see you here and I hear you sing the song and you gather around the same table and we eat the same cracker and the same uh, bread and same fruit of the vine, I'm watching my language because Gary James will correct me. So I, I remind, I'm, we're huddling. We're huddling and planning out our lives before we leave here and go out on the field and play the Christian faith all week long. We need a huddle. We need a huddle. This is not a no-huddle offense. This is huddle. And there's one other thing I want you to see in the story, and we're done, I promise. This song Mary sings. You've got to keep an eye on the future things. Listen to this one line of the song. I'm going to change it because it's, I think it's more accurate this way. Behold, future generations will call me blessed. You remember her saying this? She says it in her song. Future generations will call me blessed, but present generation won't. You get what I'm saying? Future generations are going to look back on what I did and realize I brought forth the Savior of all humankind, the one, the only one who could find you atonement for your sins came through me, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, human beings I'll never meet, people born in 2023. Anybody who's ever saved will be calling me blessed because of the role I played, but she knew full well the present generation was excluded. They would mock her, make fun of her, and they would just treat her with contempt, but she was willing to pay that price for the sake of you and for me and everyone else who ever gets saved by this Jesus. She was willing to sacrifice her own generation. Now later, she was honored even in her own generation. But it took years. My question for you is, if the only benefit sometimes 
you can think of for being faithful is heaven. Is that enough? If if the only reason you can think of sometimes for being faithful is for the impression you're making on the next generation, is that enough? Or some of you who are grandparents, I'm going to tell you, there's one thing that you can do. There's only one thing that you can do right now that will actually influence your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and your great-grandkids. You can't do anything about them. You will be long gone. But you want one thing you can do about that future generation. It's be faithful today. Be faithful now. And you'll send it forth. Don't mess around with excuses. Don't talk about how hard it is right now. If you were in Bible class with me, you'd hear Jeff, Jeff um, Madden talking about how the tough times of their family back then handled with faith. Still impress him right now. But here's the thing. Your grandkids are seeing you today. You've got to be the image today if they're going to call upon that image for their own strength 30 years from now. Don't wait for some other time. The time is now. You've got to be looking at that future generation. Made the sermon too long. I should have quit. And Paul, I don't know, do a better job of restraining me. I'm not going to tell you that Jesus is nice and tidy. Some sermons will tell you that. Some preachers will tell you that. He's wonderful and popular and easy to embrace as we live in a world that's skeptical. I am going to tell you that he is the Savior of the world, and he's the only one who can. He's the only one who can. It's through him your sins are forgiven. It is through him that you can have life that has the fullest meaning and realize your fullest created potential. And by his power and through obedience to him, That's where abundant life is, but it won't be quick, it won't be instant, and it won't be obvious all the time. He will disrupt your life, and once he does, you'll realize that whatever way you were living before wasn't really life at all. I remember the commercial. Some of you still do. It's a beer commercial, and these guys were out on the river drinking beer on a weekend and said, it don't get any better than this. For them, that might be true. But God wants it to be better than that. He wants to disrupt things so they can be better. And you're going to say one of these days, that disruption saved me. So if there's anyone here this morning who's never responded to the gospel, can I tell you something? You need a disruption. You need things to just throw things up and around and let them land different. And if you want the salvation that God wants to give you, embrace Jesus as Lord and let him disrupt your life for good. And those of us who've done this, are singing to encourage you as we stand together.